Well, good morning, Redeemer family and friends. Thank you for being here with us on this holiday weekend. It's good to have you all here. I know uh, quite a few people are out today. Uh, uh, Thank you for being here and worshiping with us, church family. We love you. You guys are uh, a blessing and an encouragement. And for those of us who are guests today, we are thankful that you are here with us worshiping um, and coming to learn about the Word of God because the Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is good. And like we're going to learn today, the Word of God sometimes shocks you. It shocks us. It shocks our culture, that's for sure. But even as Christians or as those who have wrestled with the the, the written Word of God and have tried to understand Jesus, the living God, God, when we hear the proclamation of the gospel, um, the proclaimed Word of God, things shock you. And so there are many things that are evil and ignorant things that are said and shocking. We're not going to talk about those things. Those are what I would call evil things that would shock you. Sin, and really sin should not shock you because if you know human nature, uh, people do shocking things. But I I want us to think about or you to think about right now maybe something that shocked you before in your life. Again, not necessarily ignorant things that are said that are shocking or people or that kid that was trying to be funny in class, not, not stuff like that. But I'm talking about mysteries, like of the world, like these un- things that you cannot understand, that we cannot understand. Maybe uh, you heard an explanation for something about how this, like the pyramids were built, or this thing, or that thing, or you heard about, uh, and, and, and there is something that has been said, a mystery that has shocked you. So listen to Deuteronomy 29, 29. This is one of the most, I think, humbling verses in the scripture, but also one of the most freeing verses in the scripture. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. That Lord our God we just sang to, they're secret things that belong to him. So hopefully that uh, gives you a little mystery and all, but also a little comfort like, good, I don't have to know everything. We're not called to know everything. It says secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us. Like God has revealed things that belong to us, to our sons, our children forever that we may observe all the words of this law. So there are secret things that only God knows. There are things that we cannot comprehend. There are things, again, this side of eternity. There are things in the past, history, people groups that don't exist anymore necessarily, kingdoms, even geography, and the animals of the world that lived before that that we honestly have no idea about. They're extinct. They, They don't exist anymore. And... The most intelligent people don't even know these things. And so it would shock us if we could see uh, some of those things or or understand or know some of these past mysteries or even present mysteries and future mysteries or or secret things of the Lord. Uh, Again, there are decisions that our sovereign God has willed in a holy way that do not make sense to our small, limited human minds. Uh, Again, but those decisions are holy decisions, even though they don't make sense to us all the time. God has justly made all of those decisions, all the things that he has allowed. They are all working out for the good of his children, not for everybody, but for the good of his children, for his kingdom to come and then for this glory of God. For his glory. And so there are, again, actually things that God has actually revealed to us as humanity. 
but even uh, in the things that God has revealed, like revealing the revealing of himself as the living word, the revealing of the scriptures as the written word, and then the revealing of his, uh, this revelation of the gospel, this good news story that we can call the proclaimed word. They're all three connected. And so even in his revealing his will, right, there are still so many things that are shocking to humanity when they come from our holy God and are revealed to us. Why? Because we as humanity, we have uh, small, finite, limited human brains. And so, and that's how God made it. You see, today in our text, Jesus will shock the religious leaders and his own people um, as we will, as he will say some things that are terribly shocking. And he will reveal something and say something to the religious leaders and and the Jews, his people. He will say something that to them is one of the most disrespectful and shocking things that any human has ever claimed. So if you would, look with me at John 5, 18 through 24. Open up your Bible. If you have a physical one, turn on your device and have your eyes and ears with me in the text today. John 5, 18 through 24, where we will talk about this idea of the Son of God. We're going to see that, that uh, our main idea, uh, these shocking words of Jesus, the, and these shocking ideas were that, one, Jesus is equal, distinct, and completely God. So those three things. And that the son of, he is the Son of God who judges and gives eternal life. So Jesus is equal, distinct, and completely God. He is the Son of God who judges and gives eternal life. So let's read our text in John 5, 18 through 24. The text says, this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, Jesus, because not only was he, Jesus, breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only that what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father." And whoever does not honor the Father does not honor, I'm sorry, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Amen. And so again, we're going to clearly see our main idea are these shocking words of Jesus, that Jesus is equal, distinct, and completely God. He is the Son of God who judges and gives eternal life. And so look with me at verse 18, and we're going to see this first point or this first uh, um, uh, sub-point of the, the main idea of the Son of God, that Jesus, the Son of God, is equal with God. So look at verse 18. Um, it says, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, now, he was breaking the, he, the Bible says, Jesus broke the Sabbath? He broke the Sabbath, if you remember last week, Al's sermon, from the 39 rules that the religious leaders had made up. So was he really breaking the Sabbath? No. Jesus said that, the, the Bible says that, Jesus says, 
The Sabbath was made for man. Um, I mean, uh, man was made, yeah, the Sabbath was made for man. And so man has, uh, in a sense, rule or domain over the Sabbath. Uh, Sabbath wasn't made to bind man. And so uh, the point is that it, that they saw Jesus breaking these rules. But he, it says, he was even calling God his own father. Like that had never been said before. Maybe there's people that are claiming there are some. But he was going to the religious leaders and saying that now that God was his own father. And what did that mean? If, especially in Hebrew culture, even in cultures today, you say, this, this is my son. This is my daughter, but specifically this is my son where the birthright would come. You were saying that we are equal in status. And so that's what he was saying. He was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So if you remember a little bit last week, we saw this healing at Bethsaida. That this, this guy that was uh, disabled and, and he was physically um, uh, uh, hurting and, and, and could not walk, he was healed to sin no more. Jesus said, don't sin anymore. And these were, again, shocking words. They were disrespectful and dishonorable words because the, the, the Jews got mad that Jesus healed, like it says in verse 18. It's a kind of a summary of our story last week, on the Sabbath. And so this healing, again, was shocking and disrespectful and dishonorable to the, to the Jewish people. They're like, who's this guy think he is healing people and um, uh, saying that he's equal to God? Like they were enraged. They were angry at Jesus. They did not understand what he was doing. And, and so we see here a, a, a sub-point that the fact that Jesus is equal with God is going to make people angry. Jesus' deity will often cause anger and confusion. People don't like to hear that. They like to say, no, 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 there's many ways to God. Or you can love God this way. They, we like to write our own little gospel stories. We like to make up our own version of Jesus, our own interpretations of the written word, our own interpretations of the living word, and then our own interpretations of the proclaimed word, the gospel. There's three ideas there. If you separate those ideas, you can get into shady, dangerous, heretical territory. It means that um, you, can say, you can make up your own version of Jesus, your own version of interpretation of what the Bible says, or your own uh, version of the gospel story. But the Bible is clear. There is one gospel, Paul says, and there is one Jesus and that is what made them angry because the religious leaders were not seeing the actual, actual Messiah. They weren't seeing him. They were writing their own version of history, their own version of what they wanted to see, their own interpretation of Scripture. And they had then, again, had their own version of the gospel, of this good news story of God. They were looking for a Messiah. They wanted a Messiah. They thought he was going to come like this Superman, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, strong guy that was going to take over the kingdom, and he was going to be this military relig religious leader. And then they saw Jesus, this guy from Galilee who wasn't impressive. Isaiah gives us the idea that he probably wasn't anything physically. He wasn't maybe even an attractive man. He's just like a normal dude, not impressive to them. He was human. He was 100% human, the son of God. And that was what made them angry. How can God be human? Again, so our first, and we'll get into it a little more, but our first point teaches that Jesus is equal with God. Even if we don't understand it, initially, even if that makes you angry or confused, it really doesn't matter what we think. The truth is Jesus was saying this before they had even had time to process it. He is equal to God. Think about that. He is equal with God in status as son and deity, meaning he, the fact that he is God. So let's look at our second point of our text today, and we're going to see that Jesus is equal with God, but he is distinct as God. 
Okay? And so look at verses 19 through 20 with me. It says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, or like really, really, for real, verily, verily, we don't really say that anymore. Pay attention. Listen to this. I say to you, and he's talking of himself, the son in the third person. So it's interesting. The son um, theologically has the idea of the eternal son. And then you talk about the son and the human side of the son. So the son was eternal. Um, we'll see that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in, in a little bit. But Jesus, again, he was eternal. Um, it says, but, but I think he's emphasizing too on this, helping them see the human side of God. Specifically, again, uh, that the, Jesus was, it's interesting that, that to know that Jesus was fully human, just like you and me. So look at the next part. All that to say, the son can do nothing of his own accord. But I thought you were God, right, is the kind of the idea. I thought Jesus was God. I thought Jesus knew everything. I thought Jesus could do everything. I'm confused. Anybody get confused when they hear things like that sometimes? Like, what's actually happening? Now, there is some mystery here. I think there's a little bit of the secret things of the Lord. How and when Jesus understood he was Jesus? Was it when he was born? Did he like, oh, I'm Jesus. I know everything. Uh, maybe. Or was there a revelation even to Jesus about himself? Was he just perfectly human? And then Mary knew the prophecy. And then as they grew, like the Holy Spirit, maybe he was seven, maybe he was six. I don't know. At 12, we see Jesus already preaching with authority and he already knew he was the son of God. So again, there's some, there's some things the Bible doesn't say and we don't necessarily know. It's not for all us to know. But it's interesting that look, look at what Jesus says. All that to say, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, the son, he's saying, I can do nothing the son can do nothing of his own accord, nothing of himself or from himself alone, but only what he sees the father doing. So Jesus is saying, I, I'm equal to God. I'm not different. I'm not going to contradict the father. All those people that say the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. No, the Bible is clear here. It's the same uh, God. And it may not make 100% sense to us, but he is the same God. But he's also distinct. Jesus and the Father are distinct. They are orderly, and the Holy Spirit is part of that too. He is also distinct. We would call them different persons of the Trinity. And so Jesus and the Father are distinct, but they're orderly. There's a relationship, just like husband and wife, right? Just like our culture is going to tell you, no, husband and wife, um, there is no order. There is no different roles. No, there are. It doesn't mean necessarily, it, it doesn't have to be like this, but I think there is a hierarchy. Everything proceeds from the father. The husband is the ruler, uh, in a sense, the leader of the wife leads too, but they do it together. Like that's how God made it. He made man first, and then he also made woman. Again, the culture doesn't like to hear those things. Does that mean men need to be uh, abusive and, and, and that women can't lead in certain ways? No. But there is an order, just like male, there is male and there is female. And, 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 and then there is the father and there is the son and there is the spirit. Everybody is different. If we were all the same, that would be weird. Unity doesn't mean being exactly the same. Unity means the fact that we are different, we can hold things together. That's a better picture of unity. That means we give up certain things. We don't hold on to certain things. We come together and work together. The reason people, they say they want unity, but people obviously don't want unity is because they want sameness. You got to be just like me. Um, and there, there will be similarities in church, in families, in the person you marry, but oftentimes couples that are very different work together. Me and my wife are very different personality-wise, the way we talk, our, our energy, everything. But we work together. That's how God made it. And so I think there is something there to consider. Again, um, we don't have time to get into all that. Again, the culture tells a different story. 
that you can pick what you want to be. You can pick your role. You can pick your gender. You can pick all these things. And I would just say, uh, man, pray. Pray for, our, pray for our, yourself and pray for our culture because our culture is lost. And we don't understand unity. We don't understand diversity. We've made that our own thing. The, the point, the Bible says that we're all supposed to be unified. And so we learn that from the Father and Son. Look at this difference, this distinctness between Jesus and the Father, but the order of the relationship, different roles. If Jesus was submitted to the Father, how much more should we be submitted to each other as the church and to, the, and to Jesus? Look at this, verse 19. It continues. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. You see unity? Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. They're not different in, this, in, in vision, in will, in, in mission. They may, the Son had a different role, just like husbands and wives and children. Children are no less than their parents. The wife is no less than the husband. We just have different roles. That's just like any good team. Not everybody is going to be uh, the one that shoots all the shots. Does that mean that person is less? No. We, have a, we as Americans have a problem with status and being first and being, being number one. If you look at, at history, um, especially Eastern cultures, they have a different idea of what it means to be uh, uh, communal. They will put, and we put the individual first, right? Uh, we got that from the, our early days of, of rebellion, of, of saying no to the king, and it's about winning. And I'm not saying all, there's some good in that, okay? But if you take that too far, it becomes an idol. And then the same thing in, in Eastern cultures, if they, they often, often care about the community, and they put the community first. Again, that's why there's some problems and things there. There's, they're susceptible to more, uh, a lot oftentimes, to different governments that are more uh, communist and things like that because they put those things first. So we have to be careful. There are uh, things that, e- e- but the point is that they do have this understanding of community and putting the, the, the whole unit, the whole people, more than the one individual. Again, the, but we'll look at verse 19. We see this unity from the Father. Look at verse 20. For the Father loves the Son. Now, it, it, it's, it's two-sided. The Father loves the Son. Just like God loves you, he loves the Son. You, if you are of God, you have the love of God. What is the, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Right? It's this commandment to love God. Why? Because he loved us first. And now we see this love, but it doesn't make sense. It's shocking. Why would he send the son to the cross to die? The father loves the son. And then now, look, the father shows him all that he himself is doing. So again, I think this is helping us see the human side of Jesus, that Jesus was actually human. He's equal with God, but he was distinct because he had to be really human. Do we know everything as humans? Now, Jesus had the ability to know, and we do see later in Scripture, he says things and he knows things. And like, ooh, how did he know that? But I think this helps us see that he, was, he had to abide in the Holy Spirit in, in the same way we did. He's different because he's God. Uh, but, there, but his humanity had to abide in the Spirit, and he was the perfect example of what that means. So when Jesus needed something, when he didn't know, his human body didn't know what to do or, or where to go, the Father would reveal things. It would show him all these things, that all that he is doing. And then it says, and greater works than these will he, Jesus, show, I mean, will he, the Father, show him. So then there was this greater work that was supposed to happen. And that is the resurrection, what happened, Jesus dying and him resurrecting and then him then giving us life. And greater works than these will he show him. So why? 
He's telling these people, he's shocking them so that you would marvel. He's showing this love that he had for the son. God so loved the world, remember in John 3, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. They should not die, but they would have everlasting life. For the father, again, in verse 20, loves the son and shows him all that he is doing and greater works then these will he show him. The father's showing and re- was revealing things to Jesus as a human so that you, humanity, or the listeners here, would marvel. The revelation of Jesus as the son of God, it should shock humanity. It should shock you into marvel. And, and, and it should not produce disbelief or anger or hate of Jesus. That's what happens a lot of time in culture. People can't receive that idea, um, and, and, and they ended up hate, hating Jesus. And you may be like, man, I'm good. Like, I believe in Jesus. That's, that's good. But I, I hope today that you get a real clear picture of Jesus, his deity, and his humanity. That he actually was really human the same way you are tempted when you have those bad thoughts. Again, temptation is not sin, but it can quickly become sin, James says. When you have those bad thoughts or when you get angry where it's, not all anger is bad, but uh, there's righteous anger, but anger quickly becomes sin, right? Just like you have that thought, you see that thing, you want to say that thing, you want to do that thing, uh, family problems, right? Uh, When that temptation is there. When the temptation to sin is there, Jesus had those same temptations. He was actually human. He wasn't fake human. That's what the, the John is trying to say. And this would have made the peop- people mad. And I, th- I think we can struggle understanding. I, I feel like I struggle with it. God, let me understand. The Bible in Hebrew says that he was tempted like we are. But he did not fail. He did not sin. It's even weird to think about Jesus being tempted. Like It doesn't make sense to us. Satan took him to the mountain, in, 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 uh, and we see that he um, gave him some strong temptations for fame, for food, and, and uh, to be the ruler of the world, and Jesus said no. Those temptations may be present to, your, to you as well. They may not be the exact same temptations, but these things to find glory, to get satisfied immediately instead of enduring. The point is that the humanity of Jesus that him being the son of God is an emphasis on his humanity and his deity, it shouldn't produce disbelief or anger or hate or confusion or a version of Christianity um, that is not biblical, your own gospel story. It shouldn't produce um, uh, this, this sadness or this, man, about the way your life turned out. Just like, man, come on, God. Like, I thought I was supposed to be here or this. That's not what the Son of God produces in us. Because it's not about us, guys. It's not about our journey. It's about the Son of God. That's what Jesus is even saying about the Father. Seeing the Son of God helps us see God fully or completely. This will lead us in a second to our third point. And we're going to see that the text says that we must honor. Honor is attached to this idea. I hope that helps us understand. I think as Americans, we struggle to understand honor. That we must honor, we must see, we must actually believe the concept of the Trinity to marvel at God. The Trinity is biblical and it is true. 
And if we get this idea of the Trinity wrong, guys, then we can actually be worshiping the wrong way. And we can instead be actually worshiping demons and, as the Bible says, learning teachings or doctrines of demons. It's scary. And so we must know the Trinity. It means that the idea of one God in three persons, not three gods, one God in three persons. Again, the term Godhead um, refers to the divine nature or the essence of God, the fact, uh, what makes God God. We must see and know our triune God, or we can call him uh, the Godhead. This idea is theologically, theological words that we say. It encompasses the idea of inherent deity and the divine attributes of God. In Christian theology, we can see the concept of the Godhead is closely tied to the Trinity. Um, the Godhead focusing more on the unity and the Trinity focusing more on the distinctness. And so, again, um, the Godhead is closely tied to the doctrine of the Trinity, which asserts that God exists as three distinct persons. Again, there's a lot of secret things of the Lord in this. The Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Yet they are uni unified in one Godhead. And so the Godhead represents the totality of God's being and his character, his, omni, his omniscience, his omnipresence, and his um, omnipotence. The fact he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and he's all-present, and, and, and these other the divine, beautiful attributes. It's a way, saying the Godhead, of expressing the fundamental nature of God as the supreme and this idea of transcendent being. He's so big, he's so glorious, we can't understand he, these secret things of the Lord don't make sense uh, to us. So from a biblical theological perspective, the concept of one God and three persons, again, is central to understanding the Trinity. So we'll look at that. The Trinity is the belief that God exists eternally. Like Jesus wasn't made. Jesus wasn't made. Jesus existed before. The, the, the scriptures say that Jesus was the creator. So that means that he was there at the beginning of Genesis he, where everything was made. So Jesus is eternal. The Spirit, Holy Spirit is eternal. It says the Spirit of God, if, if Genesis 1, was hovering above the waters. Huh. And so the Father was obviously there. Jesus was there that the, we see in the New Testament. And then we see that the Spirit was there. And so Je the, the, we see the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and then the God-man, the God Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Um, they are one God, and we see that the Father is the source. This is kind of the idea of roles and understanding that the Father is the source or the originator of all things. Um, the Son is the incarnate Word who became flesh to save humanity, and the Holy Spirit is His divine presence who empowers and guides believers. It, it, it's all the idea of God with us. They all three are. But each person of the Trinity possesses the fullness of deity. They're all God, and they work in perfect unity, displaying a harmonious, beautiful relationship with the Godhead. So this understanding, again, acknowledges that mystery of God's nature, and, and it emphasizes his sovereign plan and, and grace and love that's revealed in creation, redemption, and the sanctification, the fact that we're growing in understanding this, this revelation of us growing. So it is through this Trinitarian framework that true believers, like we learned in John 4, not, not, not our own version of God, but the, the real version of God that we worship in spirit and truth. People go their whole lives thinking they're worshiping Jesus, and they're not. Thinking they're worshiping the Father, and they're not. Thinking they're worshiping the, the true understanding of the Holy Spirit, that we can think we're worshiping the Godhead, and we're not. Now, this is not to be like, oh, my gosh. The Bible says pray in Jesus' name. It says Jesus is our mediator. He's what makes us translate, in a sense, the Spirit and the Father. We can pray in the name of the Father, we're, we're, we're told to. 
The Bible never says pray in the name of the Holy Spirit, but if the Holy Spirit is God, you pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. They all work together. And so I'd encourage you, when you pray as you live, we're going to sing a song in a bit. It says abide. It's going to talk about the idea of God living in you, the triune God living in you, especially the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us now see Jesus and remember what Jesus did and then give glory to the Father, which is really giving glory to the Son and helping us as we live our lives, as we worship, like are we recognizing the true holy God day to day? Not our version of Jesus, not whatever we think, not the story we've written up, not what we were told when we were growing up. And there may be some good things there, I don't know. Um, but there may be some bad things. There may be some things that you made up. You made up your own version of who Jesus is. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I want you to see me the right way. Because that's, again, what John 4 reminds us of worshiping in spirit and truth, how we can relate to God, recognizing the distinct roles of each person of the Trinity while affirming their essential unity. And so we see Jesus' distinct personhood should cause mystery and marvel. But this word that we're going to see here in a second, honor, this honor of our marvelous God. Jesus' distinct personhood should shock you to see Jesus and his gospel clearly. So this, in the second point we saw uh, of our text that Jesus is distinct as God, that he is fully man and fully God. And in our a third point, we're going to see that Jesus is completely God. And we're going to see that in verses 21 through 24. Said more fully, our third point is that Jesus is completely God, which should shock us to honor our Savior whose word can judge. doesn't mean we're going to understand every, everything, but we should honor him. So this should remind us of verse 18, that Jesus is equal to God. Look at verse, verses 21 and 24 with me again. It says, Look at verse 21. For the Father, raised, the Father raises the dead. There's other parts in Scripture that says Jesus rose himself from the dead and that the Spirit rose uh, uh, Jesus from the dead. That's, that's, that's a whole other sermon. Uh, but here it says, for the Father raises the dead and gives them life. Because the source, the Father is the source of all things in that sense. But the Scriptures all say that, that the Son did that. And it also says that the Spirit did that. And so also, the Son gives life to whom he will. Now we see the Son is the one who gives life. Well, if the Father, I think that's helping us see, it says that the Father raises the dead and gives them life, okay? But so the Son gives life to whom he will. That's interesting, back to back. It's saying they both give life. Verse 22, as he wills, as the Son wills. For the Father judges no one. Hmm, it's explaining what the Father does. The Father is not the one who necessarily judge, judges. It's interesting, in Islam, in Mormonism and in many other pseudo uh, things that are tied to or have uh, in either Abrahamic religions or other versions of Christianity that are actually not Christianity, they're cults, a lot of them think that Jesus is the judge. That's interesting. Uh, Islam, if you talk to a Muslim, they'll tell you, yep, Jesus is coming to judge. Um, now, they don't believe he's God, which is the point of this. He's not the son of God. And so we as Americans may understand this very well, but if we want to evangelize to uh, people that are, especially in, in, in Islam, uh, this idea that, no, 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 yes, Jesus is a judge. You accept that, but you have to accept him as a son. The same issue that they were dealing with today is, is an issue with um, people that, um, that, wor that worship the, the God uh, of Islam, which in, in a lot of ways, God has called many people. Jesus has revealed himself. He's used many believers, and he's helped a lot of people who were in that to see the true God and to see this the same, remember, uh, Judaism is an Abrahamic religion. So it's very similar in a lot of ways to Islam. And so even, even Jews today, 
they, they have to deal with the idea that Jesus is the Son of God, and a lot of them don't want to. My name is Israel because my dad loved Jewish people. We have Jewish blood, and so I pray. We should pray for the people, uh, the, the Jewish people, who are the people of God that God has used to reveal the gospel to us. We should pray for them and also for um, other nations and other people that, that God can use and reveal himself like he has to us. To them, that is what we want to do as a church. We want to minister and love people that, that much, but we have to know these, these doctrines. We have to understand this or we can't explain it. We can't, not, that they're, not that we understand it all, but we have, there are some things that are revealed to us that we can explain clearly, specifically the idea that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is equal to God. That's, that's the thing. That's the thing that some people don't want to hear. So all that to say, we see that the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment. Again, the Father is the source of everything. He has given all judgment to whom? To the Son. Why? Why is Jesus judging? Why will he judge? Well, I thought God didn't judge. You know, Matthew 7 says that even we can judge. Um, first, if we take the big log out of our eye, and then we can go to our brother and judge or lovingly correct our brother. Judgment is a grace. Judgment shows the love of God. If God doesn't judge, he's a fake God. He's not the real God. Because God is true. He's just. He's holy. He has to do something has to happen with sin. And so the point is, the judgment of God is so that all, that everyone would actually honor the Son. That they would see the Son as equal to the Father. So that they would all honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So we must honor the true triune God. So we're going to talk about honor for a bit. Honoring God means seeing him as a just judge. We don't judge um, a judge if, if the judge sends someone to jail, if that person uh, murders someone, right, or does something bad. They were like, good job, judge. You did your job. So we can't judge God for being judge. Again, as Americans, we don't have a strong honor culture. We don't respect the elderly much. We don't respect titles or institutions, and that's fine. Our, our culture has been brought with youth and, and, and rebellion and freedom, and we respect those things, and there's some good in some of that, but anything gone too far is sinful. Again, many Eastern cultures do have a high honor culture. Asian cultures do. They respect elderly. Um, Latin America for hi historically does too. And even today, uh, Latin Americans often respect uh, leaders and authority. And they're, they're losing some of that because of the tie to uh, uh, Western culture. But the point is, what is honor? Honor in English means to respect authority. Or uh, to give great esteem, like to, to really look at that person as special. It, it means you respect your elders and authority. But biblically, honor means, in a similar idea with a little more nuance, to love, right? It's another way of saying, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? This other aspect of honoring him, of seeing him as holy, of respecting God. A lot of times we're disrespecters of God. That we would ascribe value or worth to God or something. It is another way of saying worshiping or to love deeply with respect or authority. So, so my question is, do you respect the true authority of God? That God has ordained in all the aspects of your life, your story. He's revealed himself to you to live in a way that honors him. And mainly, do you truly respect and honor God, and do you worship like John 4 taught us in spirit and truth? That's a way of, of honoring God. Maybe uh, you have lost respect and honor for God, if you're honestly. 
you're mad, you're questioning things. God, why are things like this? God, and, and you just go there so fast. Maybe life is not what you thought and you're anxious and you're struggling to make it. Or, or maybe you're just like apathetic to God and you're like honoring God. That's, that's weak. That's weird. I don't, I don't have time for that. I can't. Maybe you're too proud. Maybe you've forgotten to honor God because you're doing so well and things are great. And uh, uh, you don't have to even think about honoring God. But think, are you honoring God or are you disrespectful to God? I think that's the, a good opposite. Are you disrespectful to God with how you live your life, how you wake up, how you think of the true God throughout your day? Are you honoring him or are you disrespecting him? In my house, my, my dad would teach me about respect and disrespect. He was a military officer, so he would always talk about this word, and it, it was annoying to me. As He'd just be, be, be respectful. Be, don't be disrespectful. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And he would say it with his little accent. And so I was like, we would kind of like mock him, which was not good, but we would do that. And I remember he, don't be disrespectful. And I was like, okay, Dad, I get it. But it taught me not to be rebellious. I, I say that to my kids, too. It taught me to honor and to respect his authority as my earthly father, my mom's authority, people's authority over me, my teachers, and then my coaches, and then military people, the, 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 the leaders when I was in the military, and all the different jobs, other pastors that I submitted to when I worked at other churches, other elders. It helped me understand the church's authority when I was just going to church, and it taught me to honor my friends. It taught me to honor my wife and my family, and mainly it taught me to respect and to honor. Respect oftentimes is attached to this biblical word, the fear of God. Again, it's the love of God, the fear of God, to honor God, respect God. They're all synonyms, helping our small minds see that we need to worship God in spirit and truth the right way. Respect this triune God. And to respect his bride, the church. And so I want to encourage you guys today to honor God. Think of how complicated that word really is. And, and to honor other people today. If we're believers, we're to love God and love others. Specifically those who are God's children in the church. So if you've been disrespectful, stop being disrespectful. If you've been sinful by your words, your attitude, your life, by apathy, by this proud, ambitious heart, maybe the opposite, stop disrespecting God. Honor God. Honor the Son of God. See him as the Son of God. Thank him for that today. And you will have joy and you will have actual life. As we love and honor God, the Bible says that we are to, this is one way that I think we forget. We're like, oh, God, but God says, just stop. Listen to me. Honor me. You know how you honor me? Love other people. But I don't want to. <laughs> okay. God, that, I, when you start loving other people, man, that puts, it, you can't, it, that doesn't save you, okay? But it gives you joy when you start living for other people. Your children, your spouse, other people in your life, strangers. Romans 12, again, the Bible says we are to love and honor God. When we do that, the Bible teaches us to outdo one another in honor, in love. This idea, honor is a different description of what love. Listen to Paul. John uses the same word as Paul does for honor. Hear how Paul in Romans connects it to love. Paul says in Romans 12, uh, 9 through 10, let love be genuine. So what is genuine love? This love of God and love of people. He says, one, you got to hate what's evil, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. And he, then he says, love one another. That's pure, genuine love. 
with what? Brotherly affection, familial affection. Then he says, outdo one another in honor. Honoring God. Seeing how awesome God is. Our text is calling us to see Jesus as the God-man, the Son of God who has all authority and who is to be greatly honored as the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. When we honor God, we will honor others. It just will happen. Not in fake flattery, um, but in true godly love and encouragement and respect that can change a life and minister to a person so deeply. Like... Actually, honoring people can change the trajectory of their life because we're honoring God, sorry. So do, do you submit to God's authority? Don't be like the religious leaders and, and, and Jesus' own people who would not submit to and honor Jesus. Do you submit to Jesus' godly authority? What other things might you be honoring other than God? Think about. Guys, turn away from those things. Turn away from the idols and honor God, and then you can honor and love others, and you'll see the Son of God. And so our third point teaches, which is similar to our last point, that Jesus is completely God, which should shock us to honor our Savior whose word can judge. Now, we've been learning about how the word of God is the thing that, that, that judges and gives eternal life, because Jesus is the word of God, so he's the one who judges. So look at uh, point, uh, we'll look at our final point. That Jesus is fully God, which should, again, shock us to honor our Savior whose word can give eternal life. So we saw that, um, thirdly, that Jesus is completely God, and we should see that his word should shock us to honor our Savior whose word can judge. We saw Jesus as judge. Now we're going to see Jesus as the one who is fully God, whose word should shock us to honor our Savior, again, whose word can give eternal life. So look at the last verses. It says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That's kind of a review of what we just looked at. Um, and he says in verse 23 again, that all, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. So whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. The Father who, uh, Honor the Father who sent him. Do you see how important honor is? It's, it's a big deal. The, the Godhead does it. We need to do it to each other, and that teaches us how to do it and really honor God. So last verse here, truly, truly, Jesus says, pay attention, I say to you, whoever hears or listens receives my word and believes him. The Father who sent me has eternal life now. If you believe Jesus, you believe the Father, and you have the Holy Spirit. And he says, that person who knows Jesus does not come into judgment. Jesus is not going to judge us. We don't want to deal with the judgment of God. That's a scary thing. It's all throughout the Old Testament. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is a day of judgment and a day of blessing for the believers. Why? It says, because, but we have passed from death to life now. Like you guys have eternal life in Jesus now. John 17, 3. We'll talk about that in uh, next year at some point. But honoring God brings true worship in spirit and truth, and we should be thankful and joyful for the eternal life we have for this Son of God who says, honor me. That's how we honor him with our worship, by truly worshiping in spirit and truth, meaning we're going to sing this in a bit, that we are truly dwelling or living or abiding by the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. We honor the Father. We have life, again, as we honor God by living by the Holy Spirit's leading who lives in us. 
and by the order and sovereign plan of our loving and merciful and wise Father who has loved us and given us grace and mercy to reveal Jesus as God to us. To again see our fourth point that Jesus is fully God, which should shock us to honor our Savior whose word can give you eternal life starting now or when you were saved. So guys, our, our text again should shock you to see Jesus as the living word who, as God, gives us the written word. We should see the written word, and we should see the gospel, the proclaimed word, which points us to knowing Jesus as this eternal life. So we have to know this gospel story, this creation, the beginning of time where the Godhead was there, and he created this beautiful story that would allow tension and sin to enter the world so that we would see that we are fallen and broken and that we need this Redeemer, this Son of God, this one who was God but then became man and lived this perfect life so the Father would judge not us but judge Jesus for our sin. And then Jesus was raised from the dead because he actually lived a perfect life as the, the, the God-man. And then he resurrected and he told uh, people about him. And, and, and then the story of the gospel of Jesus still lives on. And, and the promise is that one day we start to live eternal life now, but he is going to come back. And we are going to reign with him. And there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering as the new creation comes. That's the hope of the gospel in the creation, the fall, the redemption, and then the new creation or the restoration of everything. God has a point He tells us to turn away from sin, to repent, and to turn to the kingdom of God in belief, to turn away from the kingdom of Satan, and to turn to the kingdom of God. So do you marvel, and do you marvel about this gospel story, this beautiful gospel revelation of Jesus? The, The secret things belong to God, but he's revealed this to us, and he's revealed your life to have joy and purpose. If you would marvel at him, see him as glorious. Do you see that Jesus is equal, distinct, and completely God, the Son of God who judges and gives eternal life? I encourage you to see that, to honor God today, to see that God has given you, the, 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 showed us the written word, given us the gospel, the proclaimed word, which points us to Jesus, the eternal uh, God who gives us eternal life. Are you shocked into true marvel and love and honor and belief of our holy trying God who works and wills and sustains you in whatever situation you're in? Remember, we learned that Jesus is equal, distinct, and completely God, the Son of God who judges and gives eternal life. So live in the joy of the eternal life that he has given you. Live as truly transformed children of God who know and can be comforted to know that Jesus, he's actually equal to God. He's, very, he's distinct from God, but he's completely God. He is the son of God who judges and gives eternal life. Rest in that today, and let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you, Lord, and we know the secret things are revealed to you, things that would shock us that we don't understand about the past, um, things in the present. Lord, the fact that we live in a physical world, but that there is a spiritual world, Lord, we didn't even get into any of that. But you said we don't need to know all that. You said that there are certain things that you have revealed to us so that we may be obedient to your word, that us as children of God would would be obedient to your word, and you have given us Jesus, the living word. And so we come wanting to honor you with everything we have, Lord, not out of arrogance, but hopefully out of humility, Lord, that you would teach us to see the Son and honor the Son of God in a way that would... Lord, bring glory to you and transform our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray.
let us respond and worship now. We pray and we are thankful for you. Amen. Thank you.